welcome family, friends, and new friends to our podcast, They Actually Survived. I'm your host, Selena. And I'm your co-host, Andy. So this is a podcast that's going to take us through thrilling survival stories from anything you could think of, from animal attacks to accidents. We even have true crime survivors. Uh, What else? The natural disasters. Oh, my God, those are scary. It's going to take you through a thrilling ride of all these different stories where everybody survives or (laughs) the main people actually survive. You can rest assured that the people we cover, uh, it ends up well for them. (laughs) You've got that reassurance. Yeah, exactly. So today uh, I'm going to be talking about Amber and she was a hiker that fell. Uh, we got a couple mm. of stories about hikers so mm-hmm. and the ocean. So it seems like they're, the ocean and hiking seem to be very scary, you yeah, know? You, you know, when you, when you go out, out of your normal to do some kind of activity that isn't done every day, I, I imagine you, uh, you run into certain risks about it. This, this actually kind of touches on a very interesting like philosophical, I don't know if it's philosophical, no, I think it's a psychological uh, um, thing that we as humans are very bad at evaluating risk and risky behavior. Because I mean, if you were to ask me like, oh, how dangerous do you think snowboarding is? I'd be like, oh yeah, dangerous. Oh, dangerous. Oh, so dangerous. Oh, you know, you'll never catch me in a snowboarding incident because I would never snowboard, blah, 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 blah. But when you look at going into the zone where that activity is practiced and and commercialized and, and set up as, as a, a a paid activity and you go through the safety and the training there's a lot of snowboarders who don't have anything wrong happen to them but if you look at our daily lives how many people get in a car accident yeah how many people get mugged how many you know those are not special activities you go and you go about your regular business but you're still subject to a risk and for whatever reason we as human beings are really bad at being able to like notice that difference where driving not dangerous despite all the car accidents. Snowboarding, very dangerous in my case, despite not hearing too many snowboarding accident accidents. Stories. You're right, you're <laughs> right. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what's your story for today? Uh, my story is going to be about the Robertson family back in 1972 getting lost at sea, stranded at sea. Okay, all right, this is gonna be a good one. I, I like the the stories or the survival stories of the lost at sea because mm-hmm. You know, you you had mentioned this before, how vast the ocean actually is, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but the vastness is just so scary to me, like, because <laughs> you just don't know, like, when you're free floating out there, you don't know where you're going, you know, so that's crazy. I'll put an idea out for you, vaguely related to this. Um, I, I think it's, I read something about uh, lobsters. I think lobsters as a species are a very, very rare animal that doesn't seem to die of old age they only die from injury so in theory there is an ancient lobster out there that has gotten huge and just continued to grow larger and larger and larger swimming somewhere below the surface that's scary <laughs> man those lobsters, throw it out there those shrimp man those jumbo shrimp are scary think of how delicious it must be <laughs> <laughs> right that is one of my favorites <laughs> All right. Well, who went last last time? Do you want to go first? Um, sure. Okay, go ahead. 
So this is the story of the Robertson family it happened in 1972, July 23rd, and a little bit of backstory that leads up into this. So Dougal Robertson is the father and husband central to the story, and he is a retired merchant Navy officer at the time previous to this. And he's got his wife, he's got four children, and in, their, uh, in his retirement, they decide to start up a dairy farm in Staffordshire, England. His wife, Lynn, son, 18, Douglas, Anne, daughter, age 17, and twins, Neil and Sandy, age nine. So children ranging between nine and 18 at the, at the uh, events of the story. Now, their farm is not equipped with running water or electricity for a decade. They're not doing very well financially. They're not very uh, technologically advanced or equipped for it. They're still using paraffin lamps and candles which I don't think is too strange for a farm, but you, you never, I don't know. I'm, I'm no farm expert. Uh, for the 70s, that, <laughs> you know, uh, I think that isn't normal, in my yeah, opinion. Okay. okay, fair. Yeah. Um, They don't have a TV, and they can't even afford shoes for the children. It makes me sad. The farm isn't having much financial success. Yes. And, and... Why is he retired if he yeah, can't right? afford <laughs> Maybe he needs to go back to work. <laughs> I don't know. Just a thought. Maybe I, you know, I'll back out. I'll back out. That's I don't know fair. what's going well, on. I, I've got nothing respectful to say to play off of that. So you know, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll bite my tongue here. Yeah, exactly. Um, you don't know people's I don't circumstances. Know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I'll back off. Sorry. <laughs> go Sorry, ahead. Robertson's. Yeah, um, go ahead. The farm isn't having much financial success and Dougal decides to sell everything purchase a yacht, and sail around the world with his family. His wife doesn't agree with this plan, but they do it anyways. Now, uh, with Douglas training from the military and Lynn having learned the basics of sailing previously, the family casts off on their yacht called the Lucette on January 27th, 1971. So that's a year and a half before the actual story. So they've been doing this for a year and a half now. Uh, they leave from Falmouth in Cornwall, England, and the children unfortunately have zero, practically almost zero experience whatsoever. I think they took like some practice laps and then off we go into the ocean. Boom, just like that. And so for one and a half years, the family is sailing across the Atlantic Ocean and they're visiting various ports in the Caribbean and they end up also picking up a student hitchhiker along the way. That was kind of a weird little you know, nugget in the story. I don't think anything really happens around that, but you know, it's the, it's it's the Robertson family plus, a, plus one more. And when they get near the Galapagos Islands, they encounter a pot of orca whales and I don't know if they got too close, if they felt threatened, or if these orca whales were just aggressive, but they start to strike the yacht to the point where the keel, the bottom deck, uh, the bottom of the boat rather, ends up cracking and their vessel begins to fill with water. And thankfully, everyone's able to get to an inflatable 10-man raft that they stocked with six days worth of food and several watering cans. So they evacuate the boat onto this raft and... Dougal Robertson strategizes then that what we should do is row further out to sea. Don't, don't, don't row to shore, go out to sea and let the ocean currents naturally just pull us closer to shore. That'll be a lot less uh, uh, energy um, usage that way. We can kind of just passively get back, get close enough to you know, save our energy. 
And their plan is to let the countercurrents naturally bring them back to America. Unfortunately, the raft ends up taking a hole from the launch, and that hole ends up just ripping larger and larger over time. And it fills the raft up with seawater all the way up to their chests. And this is how they're going to be for pretty much the rest of the story. They're just sitting in water up to their chests. And this water uh, saps the heat from their body every day, every night. They end up developing sores from just constantly sitting in it. And they couldn't go to sleep because when you drift off to sleep, you tend to fall over, collapse, recline. Go into and whenever that would happen, splash, you hit the water and they'd, they'd wake up. So they were being sleep deprived. They were being deprived of sleep throughout the, throughout the majority of his journey. You know what I would have done in that situation? I, I would have What's done that? taken turns. I would have leaned somebody on my body, mm. Mm, mm, sit mm. up and hold them Your so that nap. they could yeah. sleep and then yeah. you know that's a good point yeah everything that could go wrong was going wrong for them right away yeah and i mean god yeah. how devastating you've sold everything, everything that you own everything your house is yeah. gone that's your house you know everything you know and love is here in this boat right now yeah in this raft right now yeah you're you're clinging for dear life. You're you're being um, deprived of sleep. You have six days worth of food. You're out adrift into the ocean. You've got this random hitchhiker that you decided to pick up too. <laughs> another mouth to feed. We we kind of mentioned this in a uh, in another recording with the um uh, the Donna Reed party. The story doesn't involve any cannibalism, but typically when you are in a situation that gets to the point of cannibalism. That's how you progress through it, where you eat the things you care the least for. You start eating random animals that you have. Yes. Then you start eating your pets. Then you start eating your strangers, then your neighbors, then your family. You know, you, you, you try really hard to avoid eating the ones that you love the most. And again, this story doesn't involve any cannibalism, but we do have <laughs> a hitchhiker along with them. <laughs> Don't worry, he gets out of this uh, just the same. Now, since they're not able to really get a good night's uh, rest in there, Lynn, the wife and mom, she starts to fear for the, for the nine-year-old twins that they're going to pass out and just drown in the water. They end, up start, uh, they end up running out of food. And they end up switching over to trying to catch rainwater and eating the sea turtles that are you know, uh, in the waters around them and drinking the blood from the sea turtles in order to get some kind of hydration because you know it doesn't just you don't just get rainwater every day and uh they they cut up the turtles and they're drying them to let it last so they're they're going into long-term survival strategies here to stave off death by dehydration lynn comes up with uh with with an idea that she encountered in her experience as, as a nurse she ends up breaking off the rungs of a ladder. It was like a plastic ladder. She, they break off the, the rungs and she uses it to fashion enemas to hydrate her family through that end. Now, the reason why they can't just drink the water around them too, I mean, number one, it's salt water. You can't just drink salt water and survive off it, at least not humans. But also as they're cutting up the sea turtles, all the bits and pieces, the innards, the guts, uh, it's called offal. That's 
you know, just they're just soaking in it. So this this isn't clean salt water, not to imply that salt water is clean in the first place, but it's dirty. It's got blood. It's got guts in it. You can't just drink that. It's not good for you. So she comes up with this, this idea of you can't ingest water through the mouth and through the stomach. It's got to go in through another end. <laughs> that you is know. insane that she thought of that. She's like, a nurse. She's like, medically. Yeah. 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 I, I, I would never think to, to shove water up my butt. Yeah, exactly. You know, but but this is this is a medical expert saying yeah. this is how we're going to have to do it in order yeah. to avoid poisoning, contamination, and and you know, well, this illness. is desperation, obviously. You know. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Never have I ever heard of a heard of this as a medical treatment until until this story. So they're out adrift for sixteen days when this inflatable raft that they've been uh, living in that hole just gets too large and they have to abandon the raft. So they switch over to another vessel that they had, uh, this 10 foot long dinghy named the Edna Mare. It was dry, but it wasn't very sturdy. It was flimsy enough that every major wave that hit them could have tossed it over and flipped it over at any, any moment. So now they're, they're not even secure in their vessel that they're in, not to imply that they were secure in the one with the hole in it. And they continue on for for another another week this is day 23 now and it rains heavy enough to the point where the dinghy is beginning to sink just from filling up with rain and they're so at rock bottom that Duggle he he gives up you know he 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 doesn't fight this anymore and he ends up locking eyes with Lynn, his wife. They don't say anything, but she gives him that look of like, no, you do not give up on the family. You do not give up on the kids. You do not give up on me. Keep fighting. And so that, you know, reinvigorates him. And he tells the kids like, um, bail that water out harder, more, harder, chuck it. Just go, 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 go. Don't give up. Fight, 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 fight. Keep, keep chucking the water out. Keep chucking out the water. And so they end up doing that all the way up until uh, July 23rd, 1972. This is 30 day, 38 days out at sea now. They end up running across a Japanese fishing vessel that spots their flare and they go over to pick them up. And by this point, no one has urinated in 20 days. <gasps> oh my gosh. That's how dehydrated they were. And wow. it's documented that their tongues had swollen up from thirst to the point where it was difficult for them to speak and communicate. That's when they got found. That's when they got rescued. That's when they got returned back to land. Wow. That's insane, man. It's, you know, like you said, you know, disaster after disaster. Yeah, exactly. But man, just that woman, mm -hmm. what a strong woman, mm -hmm. man. Mm -hmm. uh, that nurse Lynn just really Lundson. helped them out. Yeah. You know, obviously, I haven't been in a survival situation like this, mm -hmm. but man, there has been times where I lock eyes with my husband and yeah, we <laughs> telepathically no. communicate. Yeah. And when one is weaker for, for a certain point or yeah. frustrated or yeah. the other one takes over yeah. and you kind of go back and forth. And that's the great thing, you know, about the yeah. family unit is, is that, yeah, where, where one is weak, the other is strong. Right. So it kind of works out, you know? Right. You, you have someone else to be reliable on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she was a strong woman, man, yeah. through and through, right? Yeah. She pushed her husband ahead. 
told her and told him this is a bad idea they go out and do it she she uh, comes up with the idea to keep them from completely dehydrating and dying from dehydration she tells him do not give up silently she gives him the stare you know don't give up keep fighting how dare you think of giving up on, on, on us and yourself and the kids and me do not give up keep fighting this is there's a little bit of controversy in that like a story like this turns into book accounts you know uh, the family members have uh, I, I believe they've written um um uh, multiple people have written stories about the robertson family and there's some discrepancies there's some discrepancies in how they remember the story you know some versions of the story talk about how amazing and how great it was that they survived and 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 the challenges that they overcame and some of them from from the family side are like dad was an idiot dad was terrible he was not a good father he put us in this position we told him no this is a bad idea yeah. he made us do it anyways we had zero experience and, and, you know it, it it kind of there's a rift in the family as a result of, of the events of yeah this. talk about the ultimate i told you so mm -hmm. from the wife because mm -hmm. she didn't originally want to do this you know right. the but i'm sure obviously you know he didn't foresee this happening and he didn't know i mean who who thinks that orcas are gonna you know hit into you i mean that's so obscure, you know? Yeah, the, the one bit of defense I'll give to, to Dougal Robertson is that it wasn't like they launched out to sea and then this immediately happened and they landed in this terrible uh, It situation. was a, what, one and a one half and years a, later. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It seemed to be working for one and a half years. And so I I, I give him It was obscure. In that it, regard. it wasn't his fault. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It may have not been the best idea mm -hmm. to to voyage out into the seas. Uh, but I'm sure the kids had a year and a half to learn mm -hmm. about sailing, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know? So, I mean, I, I don't think it was his uh, Entirely. fault necessarily. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I will tell you is people do remember things very differently. Yeah. You know, and it could be the exact same event. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're talking about it from their perspective, you know, and it could be very different from everybody else's perspective you know mm -hmm. like you get so many stories different stories you know when crime happens yeah and then you know yeah. they show pictures and somebody's like no he was six foot and then the guy's like somebody five will say no four. he's five eight yeah. five yeah mm -hmm. and it's like what he was Hispanic. You know? he was he was dark he was this he was yeah. That. yeah yeah you don't know so it's um yeah, it's just very interesting how people do remember things differently, you know. You know, this is vaguely related. I was just talking to a, a, my manager um, about something I'd read. It, it's it's this, uh, for lack of a better word, it's it's like a thought uh, experiment, um, specifically in, in police investigations of how information changes the story. I'm, 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 I don't know if I'm going to do I don't think I'm going to do a great job repeating it. But basically, the idea is that you have this person who ends up um, being shot and killed. If you had to make a ruling on it, that's a murder. You don't just sh sh randomly shoot and kill someone unless you intend to kill them. Typically, you do some investigation. It turns out this person who was shot and killed was jumping off a building. So they were in the act of killing themselves, death by suicide. OK, so maybe this isn't a murder. Wait, no. When you go. To kill yourself you don't just randomly get shot in the head by someone that's not you so okay this is um 
attempted murder. This is homicide, maybe. You know, the, the, we we go from murder to suicide to 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 um, sorry, murder to, to suicide to to homicide, and the investigation is who fired the gun. Well, it's you know person number two, this guy. Well, well so you committed homicide against the first person. Well, no, because my gun isn't loaded. What do you mean your gun isn't loaded? You fired it. Why would you fire a gun if it wasn't loaded? Well, that's this thing I have whenever my wife and I get into an argument. I pick up my gun, I point it at her, and I pull the trigger, but I absolutely never keep it loaded. I know that. She knows that. It's it's a stupid, empty threat. Okay, well, why was the gun loaded that day? Someone put ammunition into it, and it wasn't either of you two. Okay, this might be an assassination. So now this changes over to an assassination investigation. You look into it a little further, and then you find out that there's a relation. Uh, husband and wife are actually the parents of the person who ended up dying. And in this completely made-up hypothetical story, the person who died was upset that they had been cut off from their parents financially and to get back at them, they loaded the gun knowing that their father would, the next time they get into an argument with wife, would point the gun at her and pull the trigger and kill her. So it was like, okay, this was a planned attempt at murder just at the wrong person. Wait, hold on a second. If they were the one who put the ammunition into the gun, why did they jump off the building. Well, it's because mom and dad didn't get into an argument. The person got depressed that their plan wasn't working. So they tried to kill themselves in depression. So in theory, they loaded the gun that shot themselves and killed themselves. Okay. This is still technically a suicide. So like, that's how information changes the story. That is so it's, long it's, and drawn out, it's but a I totally get weird it. Weird thought experiment. <laughs> That is a weird one. All right. I'll go into my story yeah. next. Tell me about Amber. So this is the survival story of Amber Conhorst. Sure. Uh, she's sure. a 25-year-old nurse and an avid hiker who lived in Minnesota. Uh, she had traveled to Arizona, and it was Arizona bordering mm. Utah, where she mm. stayed at a bed and breakfast. So she was there because she was set to volunteer at an animal sanctuary. Mm in Utah for a week. And then she stopped by Arizona for some hiking and she had planned to spend all her free time exploring the canyons and the desert and the terrain. So she, yeah, sounds like a busy, yeah. busy plan. Yeah. So she's going to volunteer and then she's like in my off time, I'm going to go hiking and stuff. So the day of the incident, she was hiking at Rose Cliffs Trail in Arizona. So Amber headed out there for a late afternoon hike a sunset hike is what she called it at 4.30 p.m. So now my okay. question right away is, why are you going hiking alone? That makes me nervous. Uh, I don't think yeah. I would go hiking alone, but, you know, she was an avid hiker. Then why yeah. are you going to a sunset a hike? Sunset? Yeah, a sunset hike. That Maybe sunrise. Yeah, sunset's sunset. a little odd. So, but, you know, again, she's an avid hiker, so maybe she knows what she's doing. Okay, so... She reached her summit, looking out over the distance of the Zion National Park. Uh, I've seen pictures of that. Okay. Must have been, it it's supposed to be really very beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. yeah, and the yeah. sun was setting along the desert horizon, so it probably looked just like paradise. Uh, she decided to descend the 800-foot cliff that she had successfully climbed 
before the mm. looming darkness. So, you know, the sun is setting, yeah, sure. mm. darkness is coming on quickly. So, and then that was my second question. Do people actually hike in the dark? I don't know, but <laughs> that's weird. Yeah, oh, I've I, never I heard of people hiking do. in the dark. That seems... that, yeah, that seems unsafe to me because you don't know where you're putting your footing. You can't really quite see. No matter how good that your lantern so is, you know, your your hands are holding onto the rocks and things. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a little odd. But again, here she is, an avid hiker. So as she's navigating her way down, she could see her end destination, which was marked by a tree, uh, but she couldn't quite figure out how to get there. So each time she, Amber, attempted to descend, she was met with like a dead end or a sheer cliff face. So she was kind of mm. trying different routes. It mm -hmm. just wasn't working. So she was trying mm -hmm. to tell herself, don't panic. She's talking to herself, you know, mm -hmm. uh, don't panic. She said she uh, took out her phone to try to dial 911 and her hands were shaking at this point. And she looked and there was no service. No. no. Yeah. So it's dark now and silent. And she had to go down. As Amber was carefully jumping between boulders, everything was black. She actually, oh, yeah. Geez. So she's jumping kind of uh, between these boulders and uh, she lost her footing and fell more than a hundred feet. Ooh. Yeah. So she falls more than a hundred feet and she wakes up in an alcove. So in some interviews, she actually attributed the blackout as her mind's way of saving her from the trauma of the actual fall. Okay. So she doesn't remember. She just remembers losing her Falling. footing. And then she remembers yeah. like waking up in the alcove. So yeah. when she woke up and she regained consciousness, she knew she had fallen far. Mm -hmm. She assessed her situation, kind of digging through her bag for supplies. Uh, she once again tried to call 911, but there was no reception. It was now after 9 p.m. and the weather was dropping down to around 50 degrees for the night. But luckily, she was shielded from the wind while in the alcove. So she had wipes mm -hmm. in her bag. Mm -hmm. uh, like I mentioned, she was trying to dig through her bag. So she had some yeah. wipes. So she cleaned off most of the blood from her face as she could. Uh, she said she was terrified throughout the night. She had severe pain in her back. Uh, her ear Ooh. was badly torn most likely she had a concussion mm -hmm, mm -hmm. at this point sleep was not an option because she was nervous right, about yeah. the concussion so throughout the hours of the night she would blow her whistle as she kind of crawled and slithered through the desert floor in that alcove she found the end of the ledge and she discovered there was a 30 foot drop from there so she gets to this edge wow. she's thinking maybe i could just kind of crawl down you know because uh, her back yeah. is hurting yeah so she discovers this 30 foot drop uh so she knows she can't go that way she's kind of stuck where she's at so she's out of water at this point and her trail mix is gone so mm. amber knew the end was near she prepared for mm. unrelenting arizona heat so like the sun's oh. coming up here we go yeah so she, yeah so she took a picture of herself she wrote yeah, oh, no. she basically thought this was it. So uh, she yeah. was out of water, out of trail mix. She took a picture of herself and wrote her family a message on her phone. She said, I'm sorry, I'm trying to blow my whistle. I've fallen. Mm, so yeah, sad. 
So as the hours passed, she decided she wasn't going to wait around for death. She summoned up the strength to ascend. She had to actually go up. Mm. So she ascended 50 feet where she could possibly be spotted. So in a better place instead mm -hmm. of this alcove. Uh, while calling for help, her voice became hoarse and her whistleblows mm -hmm. became weaker. weaker. Yeah. yeah. So meanwhile, back at her bed and breakfast, they noticed that Amber and her rent rental car were missing and they reported it. So mm -hmm. they contacted the Mojave County Sheriff's Office and even joined in the search mm -hmm. to find her. So, um, Good on them. I know, right? So uh, yeah. as Amber was going in and out of being fully alert and having like hallucinations, and then she heard the growing sound of a helicopter in the distance. Mm. So mm -hmm. the helicopter hovered very close, like, one two four times and then it was mm -hmm. finally starting to get dark again and the helicopter passed one last time where she locked eyes with mm -hmm. the rescuers so right mm -hmm, then and mm -hmm. there like she knew all right you know this is my chance they, they yeah. see me yeah so now most people think uh and you know as we've seen or heard from these stories is most people think like as soon as you're seen, you're going to be rescued immediately, like the movies, like, all right, yeah, it's right. over two minutes later. <laughs> yeah, but it actually took many hours and many different rescue techniques to even get her off the mountain. So mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. finally, after six hours in the middle of the night, Amber had to help with her own rescue. So she mm -hmm. was helped into a harness by a crew member, and they dragged her up upwards and she kind of semi climbed to the top of the yeah. bluff where the rescuers could finally take over better access yeah exactly so she pretty much had to climb herself uh so finally yeah. the rescuers were able to take over at a certain point and then they rushed her to the hospital so she mm -hmm. was rescued uh all in all amber broke her nose she suffered three fractures in her back and a crushed pelvis but she never gave up. She found the strength. She rescued herself in a sense, you know, and oh, man, man, she survived this. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm just imagining like falling on my face and breaking my nose. And I know, yeah. my God, that's so crazy to me. You know, mm -hmm. um, I should post up pictures of my son. My son broke his nose. Um, yeah, mm. he fell off of the we have like a like? playground, like a play set okay. in the backyard. Yeah. And he fell off of it, fell on his face right into the planter edge. It's like a wooden edge and fell and cracked his oh, nose. Oh. Yeah. So I don't like that. I know. Thank God I didn't see it. I think I would have fainted. I just saw Ooh. the aftermath, you know? I'm just imagining like this huge like blood splurt. Oh my <laughs> God. So yeah, that was very scary. But yeah, I could just imagine like how Amber felt like you know like her back was hurting and obviously we know now her back was broken in three places yeah her pelvis was yeah. crushed so i'm sure every oh. little move she was doing pain. yeah it was definitely pain. pain yeah exactly yeah it was like it, it sounded like it was around about three days or two days it was getting into the morning of the third day before she was like finally like getting to the hospital you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but just the sadness of of feeling like there's no other choice you know and you're just like writing your family like messages you know your your final goodbye yeah exactly but yeah. 
that's what makes these stories so awesome though is is coming from yeah. the depths of like i'm not gonna make it to like somewhere somehow this little fire comes in you and you're like no yeah. no you know just like that husband and wife when they had that moment together it's like no yeah. you're not do not yeah, give do up not get, keep yeah. fighting keep moving on yeah keep fighting you know yeah man i really think that that's what pushes us forward you know all the time just in our own lives every day of our life is a struggle whether or not we feel it whether or not we acknowledge it whether or not uh, we're aware of it you know we're, we're all struggling to put food on the table to pay our bills to afford our shelter to keep warm uh to feed the pets and the children sorry i should have listed the children first and the pets. Um, uh, i don't have either so <laughs> that's that's a side on me yeah but in other ways some it could just be like struggling to keep the gas tank full in the car you're right struggling to afford a cup of coffee or or or, or a, a nice meal at a, at a restaurant you know doesn't even have to be a nice restaurant just just that you're not Food. having a, to buy <laughs> yeah. some kind of you know, pre-frozen microwave I, dinner thing. I wonder what it is, though. What is it? Like, that little fire in us, that perseverance that comes from within to, like, push us, you know, to keep going. Like, mm -hmm. you know, does it come all the way back from evolution? You know, just, like, the will and mm -hmm. just the raw... The desire to be yeah, alive, the struggle. Yeah, the raw will to be, to be alive and to want to survive, you know, like it comes all the way back from like evolution, you know, when we first started yeah. as human beings, like, I don't know, yeah. but it's crazy that these people though, get to the depths and of darkness. And then mm -hmm, it's like, mm -hmm. no, they claw themselves yeah, back from it. Yeah. They're like, yeah. no, not everyone does. Either. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But that's why I, I really value these yeah. stories and like how awesome these heroes are, you know? Mm -hmm. just like I was saying in, in one of the episodes is that we don't value the heroes enough that are around us mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just the everyday heroes you know even down to like the school crossing guard you know mm -hmm. what I mean making mm -hmm. sure our kids are safely crossing the street and and not getting hit by cars and and something mm -hmm. as simple mm -hmm. as that and we just like take it for granted. We just pass by and like, uh, whatever, you know, yeah. but it's like nothing happened today. And that's because of them, you know, or like mm -hmm. the firefighters mm -hmm. who are in place are these, especially now these doctors and these scientists that are in place, like, you know, this, these scientists now are lifesavers, you know, and I don't even know if people realize yeah. that. I, I think, um, uh, I, I think that's kind of the hard part of it. I'm, I'm going to seemingly go off tangent here. I think it's the idea of like your IT department in any uh, major company. They are tasked with supporting the company uh, logistically with getting your computer set up, getting the network. I, I, this is kind of out of my field, so I'm probably going to throw some jargon. I don't even know what it means, <laughs> but uh, getting your printers and your fax machines, if you've still got fax machines, uh, all talking to one another. Your website is running smoothly, but then they're also defending you against the invisible threats of viruses. foreign cyber warriors trying to Steal, yeah, viruses as well, stealing uh, information, not just in the business, but your personal information that you might share within work or, or throughout work. 
you know, maybe you send a photo uh, of your family, your kids to, to a coworker or to one of your customers because it's just building the rapport. And you know, you're keeping someone who's out for nefarious purposes from getting this personal information for you. So uh, to kind of cap on that little mini point, good IT, you never see working essentially because yeah. everything's running smoothly. Yeah. Why do I even need an IT department? <laughs> I'm not having any yeah. issues. I'm, I know how to save money. Let me just lay off the entire department. And then when something does go wrong due to the company's failure to be prepared for it and having a good IT department, they blame the IT department. Like, what do I even have you for? You're supposed to be protecting me from this. How are we doing that as a society to members of the society? The crossing guard, like you described, back when we used to have milkmen deliver milk every morning, you know, fresh daily milk before pasteurization and whatever, all that. Police officers, you know, the idea of a police officer uh, protecting the community, you know, catching the bad guys, nurses and doctors, I'd argue that it's harder to realize the value of a doctor who saves the lives of 10 people than it is to point your finger when those 10 people die. Oh, 10 people are dead because of this, you know, bad paint or something like that. How dare that paint company wag, 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 shout, shout, shout. But when the doctor saves 10 people, you're just like, that's cool. Moving on. Yes. Yeah, you're right. I mean, as a society, we love to focus on the trauma of things mm. and we want it almost to end badly so we could talk about it more. Like when things go well and when there's nothing yeah. in the news, we're not happy. <laughs> right. Know? How crazy is that? That was something I learned working in the retail environment is that like for every good positive review, there are five bad reviews because we are so ready to jump forward and criticize and say something negative. Oh, this was a terrible experience, blah, 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 blah. But when it's like, I had a great experience and so-and-so really helped me out in the store today. That's cool. I'm not going to write a review. I'm not going to put in a good word though, because that's going to take too much time. Yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, people will go out of their way to complain, but they won't go out of their way to compliment somebody. Mm -hmm. So... Mm -hmm. interesting mm -hmm. thought on that one so i know we mm -hmm. went off on a little bit of a tangent but uh, <laughs> yeah we're supposed to be talking about people surviving and amazing story <laughs> and somehow we get into these weird little tangents of you know commenting on society it's I guess. good though it's good yeah, yeah it all relates to survival man we're all in an interwoven community whether or not we like that whether or not we acknowledge it but a society does not exist on individuals it exists on every one of us looking out for one another, doing our part to help each other. Oh, I like that, Andy. Yeah, yeah. you should be a politician. Thanks. <laughs> I, I got that off the back of a milk carton. The no, cereal no, no, box? No, I made the that cereal up. box? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Cereal boxes. Awesome. All right. Well, that's all I got for today. So uh, you guys could yeah. always follow us on all of our social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at They Actually Survive. You can reach us at info at theyactuallysurvive.com for questions, comments, concerns, criticisms, and your own personal survival stories, if you'd like. Also, mm -hmm. I wanted to do a total shout out to everybody who's been listening to us. It's been so exciting. The journey has been so incredible to, you know, mm -hmm. I was expecting we were going to get 20 listeners. And I was like, I was making peace with that. Yeah. I was like, I'll be happy with 20 listeners. But to have 
500 people listening and then making its way towards like 600 people and 700 listens to our podcast. I mean, that has been such an incredible journey. By the time this comes out, I'm hoping maybe it'll even be a thousand. Who knows? But uh, who knows? This is this is this is <laughs> this is bigger than 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 either of us had anticipated. Yeah. I mean, I I I just thought it'd be a fun little thing to do, and I didn't anticipate ever breaking a hundred from it. Yeah. <laughs> so to hear five hundred was just kind of you know my brain went into. A pessimistic view was like, really? Or is it just 500 people who are like, I'll check this out. And eh, never mind. No, no. People, <laughs> people are actually listening and it is going, you know, out of the United States into different countries around the world. That blows oh. my mind that like, you know, people from France or, or Africa or China are actually listening to our podcast too. That's just like so crazy to me, but it's been so much fun. Again, I, I didn't even close to anticipate this. So it's been really exciting to like watch it grow, you know, and, mm -hmm. and come to this. So shout out to our Norwegian listeners. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, it's been totally fun. But uh, that's all I got for today. So thank you guys so much for listening. And remember, you too can actually survive. Thank you. Thanks, guys. <laughs>